Section 23 of Invisible Links This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander Invisible Links by Selma Lagerlöf Translated by Pauline Bancroft Flack Uncle Reuben there was once, nearly eighty years ago, a little boy who went out into the marketplace to spin his top. The little boy's name was Reuben. He was not more than three years old, but he swung his little whip as bravely as anybody and made the top spin so that it was a pleasure to see it. On that day, eighty years ago, it was beautiful spring weather. It was in the month of March, and the town was divided into two worlds, one white and warm, where the sun shone, and one cold and dark, where it was in shadow. The whole marketplace was in the sun, except a narrow edge along one row of houses. Now it happened that the little boy, brave as he was, grew tired of spinning his top and looked about for some place to rest. It was not hard to find. There were no benches or seats, but every house was supplied with stone steps. Little Reuben could not imagine anything better. He was a conscientious little fellow. He had a vague feeling that his mother did not like to have him sit on strange people's steps. His mother was poor but just on that account it must never look as if they wanted to take anything of anybody. So he went and sat on their own stone steps, for they also lived on the marketplace. The steps lay in the shadow, and it was very cold there. The little fellow leaned his head against the railing, drew up his legs, and made himself comfortable. For a little while he watched the sunlight dance out in the marketplace, and the boys running and spinning tops. Then he shut his eyes and went to sleep. He must have slept an hour. When he awoke he did not feel so well as when he fell asleep. Everything felt so dreadfully uncomfortable. He went in to his mother crying, and his mother saw that he was ill and put him to bed and in a couple of days the boy was dead. But that is not the end of the story. It happened that his mother mourned for him from the depth of her heart with a sorrow which defies years and death. His mother had several other children. Many cares occupied her time and thoughts, but there was always a corner in her heart where her son Reuben dwelt, undisturbed. He was ever alive to her. When she saw a group of children playing in the marketplace, he too was running there, and when she went about her house, she believed fully and firmly that the little boy was still sitting and sleeping out on those dangerous stone steps. Certainly none of her living children were so constantly in her thoughts as her dead one. Some years after his death, little Reuben had a sister and when she grew to be old enough to run out on the marketplace and spin tops, it happened that she too sat down on the stone steps to rest. 
but her mother felt instantly as if someone had pulled her skirt. She came out and seized the little sister so roughly when she lifted her up that she remembered it as long as she lived. And as little did she forget how strange her mother's face was and how her voice trembled when she said, Do you know that you once had a little brother whose name was Reuben, and he died because he sat on these stone steps and caught cold? You do not want to die and leave your mother, Bertha? Brother Reuben soon became just as living to his brothers and sisters as to his mother. She was able to make them see with her eyes, and they too soon saw him sitting out on the stone steps. And it naturally never occurred to them to sit down there. Yes, whenever they saw anyone sitting on stone steps, or on a stone railing, or on a stone by the roadside, they felt a prick in their heart and thought of Brother Reuben. Besides, Brother Reuben was always placed highest of all the children when they spoke of him among themselves, for they all knew that they were a troublesome and fatiguing family, who only gave their mother care and inconvenience. They could not believe that she would grieve much at losing any of them, but as she really mourned for Brother Reuben, it was certain that he must have been much better than they were. They would often think, Oh, if we could only give mother as much joy as brother Reuben! And yet no one knew anything more about him than that he had played top and caught cold on the stone steps. But he must have been something wonderful, as their mother had such a love for him. He was wonderful, too. He was more of a joy to his mother than any of the children. Her husband died, and she worked in care and want. But that children had so strong a faith in their mother's grief for the little three-year-old boy that they were convinced that if he had lived she would not have mourned over her misfortunes, and every time they saw their mother weep they thought that it was because Brother Reuben was dead, or because they were not like Brother Reuben. Soon enough an ever-growing desire was born in them to rival their little dead brother in their mother's affection. There was nothing that they would not have done for her if she had only cared as much for them as for him, and it was on account of that longing, I think, that Brother Reuben did more good than any of the other children. Fancy that when the eldest brother had earned his first money by rowing a stranger over the river, he came and gave it to his mother without reserving a penny. Then his mother looked so happy that he swelled with pride and could not help betraying how ambitious beyond measure he had been. Mother, am I not now as good as Brother Reuben? His mother looked at him questioningly. She seemed as she was comparing his fresh, glowing face with the little pale boy out on the stone steps and she would have liked to have answered yes, if she had been able, but she could not. I am very fond of you, Ivan, but you will never be like Reuben. It was beyond their powers. All the children realized it, and yet they could not help trying. They grew up strong and capable, 
they work their way up to wealth and consideration, while Brother Reuben only sat still on his stone steps. But he still had a start. He could not be overtaken. And at every success, every improvement, as they by degrees were able to offer their mother a good home and comfort, it had to be reward enough for them for their mother to say, Ah, if my little Reuben could have seen that! Brother Reuben followed his mother through the whole of her life, even to her deathbed. It was he who robbed the death pangs of their sting, since she knew that they bore her to him. In the midst of her greatest suffering, the mother could smile at the thought that she was going to meet little Reuben. And so died one whose faithful love had exalted and defied a poor little three-year-old boy. But neither was that the end of little Reuben's story. To all the brothers and sisters he had become a symbol of their life of endeavor, of their love for their mother, of all the touching memories from the years of struggle and failure. There was always something rich and warm in their voices when they spoke of him. So he also glided into the lives of the children of his brothers and sisters. His mother's love had raised him to greatness, and the great influence, generation after generation. Sister Bertha had a son who had much to do with Uncle Reuben. He was four years old the day he sat on the curbstone and stared down into the gutter. It was full of rainwater. Sticks and straws were carried past in wild swirlings down to the sea. The little boy sat and looked on with that pleasant calm that people feel in following the adventurous existence of others when they themselves are in safety. But his peaceful philosophizing was interrupted by his mother, who, the moment she saw him, thought of the stone steps at home and of her brother. "'Oh, my dear little boy,' she said, "'do not sit there. Do you know that your mamma had a little brother whose name was Reuben?' and he was four years old just like you. He died because he sat on just such a curbstone and caught cold. The little boy did not like being disturbed in his pleasant thoughts. He sat still and philosophized while his yellow curly hair fell down into his eyes. Bertha would not have done it for anyone else, but for her dear brother's sake she shook her little boy quite roughly, and so he learnt respect for Uncle Reuben. Another time, this little yellow-haired man had fallen onto the ice. He had been thrown down out of sheer spite by a big naughty boy, and there he sat and cried to show how badly he had been treated, especially as his mother could not be very far off. But he had forgotten that his mother was first and last Uncle Reuben's sister. When she caught sight of Axel sitting on the ice, she did not come with anything soothing or consoling, but only with that everlasting, Do not sit so, my little boy. Think of Uncle Reuben, who died when he was five years old, just as you are now, because he sat down in a snowdrift. 
The boy stood up instantly when he heard her speak of Uncle Reuben, but he felt a chill in his very heart. How could Mama talk about Uncle Reuben when her little boy was in such distress? Axel had no objection to his sitting and dying wherever he pleased, but now it seemed as if he wished to take his own Mama away from him, and that Axel could not bear. So he learned to hate Uncle Reuben. High up on the stairway in Axel's home was a stone railing, which was dizzily beautiful to sit on. Far below lay the stone floor of the hall, and he who sat stride up there could dream that he was being borne along over abysses. Axel called the balustrade the good steed Grain. On his back he bounded over burning ramparts into an enchanted castle. There he sat proud and bold, with his long curls waving, and fought St. George's fight with a dragon. And as yet it had not occurred to Uncle Reuben to want to ride there. But of course he came. Just as the dragon was writhing in the agony of death, and Axel sat in lofty consciousness of victory, he heard his nurse call. Little Axel, do not sit there. Think of Uncle Reuben, who died when he was eight years old, just as you are now, because he sat and rode on the stone railing. You must never sit there again. Such a jealous old pudding head, that Uncle Reuben. He could not bear it, of course, because Axel was killing dragons and rescuing princesses. If he did not look out, he, Axel, would show that he could win glory too. If he should jump down to that stone floor and dash his brains out, he would feel himself thrown into the shade, that big liar. Poor Uncle Reuben, the poor good little boy who went to play top out in the sunny marketplace. Now he was to learn what it was to be a great man. It was in the country at Uncle Ivan's. A number of the cousins had gathered in the beautiful garden. Axel was there, filled with his hatred of his Uncle Reuben. He was longing to know if he was tormenting any other besides himself. But there was something which made him afraid to ask. It was as if he was going to commit some sacrilege. At last the children were left to themselves. No big people were present. Then Axel asked if they had ever heard of Uncle Reuben. He saw how all the eyes flashed and that many small fists were clenched, but it seemed as if the little mouse had been taught respect for Uncle Reuben. Hush! said the whole crowd. No, said Axel, I want to know if there is anyone else whom he tortures, for I think he's the most troublesome of all uncles. That one brave word broke the dam which had held in the indignation of those tormented child hearts. There was a great murmuring and shouting. So must a crowd of nihilists look when they revile an autocrat. The poor great man's register of sins was unrolled. Uncle Reuben persecuted the children of all his brothers and sisters. Uncle Reuben died wherever he chose. 
Uncle Reuben was always the same age as the child whose peace he wished to disturb. And they had to show respect to him, although he was quite plainly a liar. They might hate him in the most silent depths of their heart, but overlook him or show him disrespect? No. Then they were stopped. What an air the old people put on when they spoke of him. Had he ever really done anything so wonderful? To sit down and die was nothing so surprising. And whatever great thing he may have done, it was certain that he was now abusing his power. He opposed the children in everything that they wanted to do, the old scarecrow. He drove them from a noonday nap in the grass. He had discovered their best hiding places in the park and forbidden them to go there. His last performance was to ride on bareback horses and to drive in the hay-rigging. They were all sure that the poor thing had never been more than three years old. And now he fell upon the big children of fourteen and insisted that he was their age. It was the most provoking thing. It was perfectly incredible what came to light about him. He had fished from the dam, he had rowed in the little flat-bottomed boat, he had climbed up in the willow which hangs over the water, and in which it was so nice to sit. Yes, he had even slept on the powder horn. But they were all certain that there was no escape from his tyranny. It was a relief to have spoken out, but not a remedy. They could not rebel against Uncle Reuben. You never would have believed it, but when these children grew to be big and had children of their own, they immediately began to make use of Uncle Reuben, just as their parents had done before them. And their children again, the young people who are growing up now, have learnt their lesson so well that it happened one summer out in the country that a five-year-old boy came up to his old grandmother Bertha, who had sat down on the steps while waiting for the carriage. Grandmother once had a brother whose name was Reuben. You are quite right, my little boy, grandmother said, and stood up instantly. That was as much of a sign to the young people as if they had seen an old royalist bow before King Charles' portrait. It made them understand that Uncle Reuben always must remain great, however he abused his position, only because he had been so deeply loved. In these days, when all greatness is so carefully examined, he has to be used with greater moderation than formerly. The limit for his age is lower. Trees, boats, and powder horns are safe from him, but nothing of stone which can be sat upon can escape him. And the children, the children of the day, treat him quite otherwise than their parents did. They criticize him openly and frankly. Their parents no longer understand how to inspire blind, terrified obedience. Little boarding-school girls discuss Uncle Reuben and wonder if he's anything but a myth. A six-year-old child proposes that he should prove by experiment that it is impossible to catch a mortal cold on stone steps. 
but that is only a passing mood. That generation in their heart of hearts is just as convinced of Uncle Reuben's greatness as the preceding one, and obey him just as they did. The day will come when those scoffers will go down to the home of their ancestors, try to find the old stone steps, and raise on it a tablet with a golden inscription. They joke about Uncle Reuben for a few years, but as soon as they are grown and have children to bring up, they will become convinced of the use and need of the great man. Oh, my little child, do not sit on those stone steps. Your mother's mother had an uncle whose name was Reuben. He died when he was your age, because he sat down to rest on just such steps. So it will be as long as the world lasts. End of Uncle Reuben from Invisible Links by Selma Lagerlöf Translated by Pauline Bancroft Flack Read by Lars Rolander